Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Sunday, December 29th. And, uh, man, I had an amazing day yesterday. I had the best day in a long time. Watched football with my friends. Uh, all my buddies came over. We hung out at my place. We had great food. It was just amazing. And I want to say thank you so very much to all the people who watch and listen to Strong Opinion Sports. You guys made that possible. Yesterday was possible because of people like you who listen to the show. Um, the space we were sitting at, the television we were watching, the game on, the food we were eating, it was all paid for by Strong Opinion Sports. And that is the most crazy statement I could ever say in my entire life. I cannot believe it. Um, I'm, so, I'm so thankful and so grateful uh, that you guys support the show. It allows me to, man, I'm, I am so happy. I'm so fulfilled. I love doing my job. I love talking about sports. I love, um, i got some film analysis stuff I'm working on this week. I'm, I'm just like, I'm so grateful that you guys watch the show and listen to the show because it makes this all possible. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so very much for supporting Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's my favorite thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, nothing excites me more. And, you know, days like yesterday, I, I just, I, I wanted to cry when I went to bed. I was like, I cannot believe that I get to watch football and it's my job. And it just was the coolest thing ever. And so I want to say thank you so, so very much. Um, I do want to, before we get into the games and what happened yesterday, uh, Jameis Winston finished the year with this stat line. This is the stat line of the Buccaneers quarterback, Jameis Winston. He has 5,109 yards passing. 33 touchdown passes and 30, 3 0, 30 interceptions. <laughs> First of all, that's insane. That doesn't, I, I honestly don't know what to make of that. Like a lot of, somehow Buccaneers fans are still defending Jameis Winston. I don't know how you do that. I'm going to watch the film. It'll be in my first anal- film analysis of the year will be of Jameis Winston to see like what happened. What, what kind of year did Jameis Winston have? Maybe all 30 interceptions bounced off receivers' hands and went up in the end of, in the air and got picked off. I don't know. Um, but it's going to be really fun to dive into the film of Jameis Winston. I cannot wait to do that uh, when the year ends. It's the year ended today, so the year is the last week of the year. Is I can dive into Jameis Winston film, maybe have an analysis done by the end of the week. Who knows? That'll be really fun. Um, but I want to read you two hilarious memes that they just made me laugh. These are two memes about Jameis Winston and his season that like me and my friends were, were hanging out last yesterday and we're like, dude, did you see this? This is hilarious. So this is the, the first meme I want to read to you guys. It says, imagine Jameis Winston in other careers. Like he runs a daycare where you drop off your kid, and at the end of the day, it's either dead or fluent in Chinese. There's no in-between, and it's 50-50 chance of getting either. <laughs> I love that, because either it's that's the bizarre nature. I mean, maybe the, the point of a joke is to not explain it, but the, the bizarre nature of Jameis Winston have over 30 touchdowns and over 30 interceptions. That's unbelievable. The the That's just the, the craziest, most horrible ratio I've ever heard in my life. It's just I cannot believe it. I've never ever seen a player be so consistently positive and consistently negative. I mean, people are like, like he's the eighth quarterback ever in history to throw for over 5,000 yards, but his team had a horrible record. They didn't have a good year. They're not in the playoffs. Like the, the it's just bizarre. I will. I don't think we'll ever see a year quite like Jameis Winston had this year ever again, unless they bring him back and he does it again. Maybe he throws 40 touchdowns and 40 interceptions next year. Uh, the second meme is this. It says <laughs> it was Jameis Winston. It says Jameis Winston. 5,109 yards, 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. That is the football equivalent of walking into a job interview with a 3.9 GPA, 1,200 hours of community service, and five DUIs. <laughs> I thought the 
<laughs> I love it. I can't even. It's just it's hilarious to me. Like I, yes, again, so weird and wildly inconsistent. And that meme, like I want to let that meme lead us into the first topic of the day. Um, Will Brinson tweeted this yesterday. Will Brinson tweeted. It says Joe Burrow draft profile. Pros, he's a mobile quarterback. He's got a big arm and deep ball accuracy. <laughs> Cons, he murdered an entire football team on live television. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious to me. Like, yeah, did you, anybody watch the Oklahoma-LSU game yesterday? Oh, my gosh. Of course we're going to talk about that. Let's jump into that as the first topic of the day. LSU beat Oklahoma 63-28. to 28. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about from this game. There are a lot of takeaways we have from uh, really both quarterbacks where I want to really gravitate towards. I love the position of quarterback. We learned a lot about both yesterday. But we got to start today uh, first with Steve Ens- uh, I want His name is harder. It's E-N-S Minger, Ensminger. Steve Ensminger is the offensive coordinator at LSU. I don't know a lot about him, but I do know that in the morning before the game, here's what I know. I know he's been really successful this year, and I know that in the morning before the game, his daughter-in-law, Carly McCord, died in a plane crash. The morning of their game, before Oklahoma, against Oklahoma. I just want you to imagine your wife's son dies hours before this gigantic life event you have happening at your job. And you got to go to work. You got to go to work. And this person you've had at family get-togethers and you've married your son is now gone. That's horrifying. Um, and not only did Steve Ensminger coach the entire game, he did a phenomenal job coaching the entire game. And uh, I'm so glad, honestly, he had a game to coach after a loss like that. Uh, a couple years ago, on a Monday night, my younger brother died. Tuesday morning, I went to work. And having Tuesday work to go to, having work to do, actually really helped me. I, it, it held off the grieving process. It, made me, it helped me function that day and get through that. And the minute I left work, I lost it. I just bawled. My, I was crying for hours about my brother. But because I had work to go to, it got me through the next day and helped me get through all that. And so when a death happens, it's actually really helpful to have something else like work to focus on for a little bit. It helps your heart stay stable. And then the minute it ends, I'm sure that Steve Ensminger just lost it the minute the game ended and they beat Oklahoma. LSU's offense went on a tear yesterday against Oklahoma. It was crazy. They just kept scoring and scoring and scoring and big play after big play. Like even in the third quarter, it was like third and seven. And Joe Burrow throws like a a 40-yard pass. You're like, of course. They could not be stopped yesterday against Oklahoma. They, Oklahoma could not guard LSU's receivers, and Joe Burrow was phenomenal. I mean, before halftime, there was a, a moment where oh, LSU scored with, I think it was four minutes and 45 seconds left before halftime. LSU scored. The score was 42-14. to 14. My buddy Jared and I look at each other and we're like, wow, this game is 42-14 to 14 at halftime. Can you believe that? Just assuming that's going to be the score when halftime does come around. And lo and behold, a couple minutes later, LSU scored again. And in fact, the score at halftime was actually 49 to 14. It just bam, bam, bam. They kept scoring and getting chunk after chunk of yardage after yardage. It was crazy. I've never seen a team dominate on offense quite as well as LSU did yesterday against Oklahoma. And the star of the game for LSU, really the star of the whole game, forget LSU or Oklahoma, the guy who stole the show yesterday was Joe Burrow, the quarterback for LSU. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's, it seems like he's a great dude, but also you got to acknowledge Joe Burrow is really good at football. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, we'll start with his stat line. His stats are ridiculous. He was 29 for 39 passing, had 493 yards, seven passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, also had a rushing touchdown. That means that in total, Joe Burrow had eight total touchdowns. 
And it's not all about the stats. To me, the, the cool part is how he got those numbers. It's the way he played that created those incredible statistics. I mean, the dude was throwing the ball all over the place, incredibly accurately, into really tight windows. It was, he was making NFL throws all over the place last night. He had one pass early in the game, deep down the left sideline, perfectly in stride over the shoulder, deep down the left sideline for a touchdown. I was like, wow, that's a perfect deep ball for a touchdown. And then later, like, I mean, I mean, literally like two drives later, he's on the run, he's rolling out to the right, and he throws a back shoulder fade down the right sideline deep for a touchdown. And I'm like, dude, this guy has pinpoint accuracy. I've been watching it all year, but last night just confirmed, yeah, if anyone still thinks Joe Burrow shouldn't be the number one overall pick, they're just wrong and they're silly. I don't understand it. Joe Burrow is incredibly well-prepared. He always understands his matchups perfectly. He's incredible. I just I go back to this. I cannot believe that there are people that still doubt Joe Burrow. It just makes no sense to me. I had a guy go off on me the other day saying, Zach, Justin Herbert, the quarterback at Oregon, is way better of a pick than Joe Burrow. He said, you know, from Justin Herbert, we have three years of consistently good play, whereas Joe Burrow, we only have one good year to go off of. And people don't understand that that's exactly why I believe in Joe Burrow. Did anybody watch Joe Burrow last year? Joe Burrow was not the same quarterback. He got better. Yes, he got a better coach. Everyone wants to talk about Joe Brady, this coach that came from the New Orleans Saints. He's a passing game coordinator. But it's not just coaching that made Joe Burrow better. Joe Burrow worked his butt off. His mechanics got better. His footwork got better. His, pre- his preparation got better. He clearly does the work on his own to become and be the successful quarterback he is. He makes the right decision almost every single time. That's not just coaching. That's a guy on his own studying, doing the work. Justin Herbert at Oregon hit a ceiling. He just plateaued. He's been the same, roughly the same quarterback for the last three years. We've not seen progression from Justin Herbert at Oregon. We've seen progression from Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, if he goes to the right NFL team where he has good coaches and has a chance to succeed, he's going to keep getting better. The ceiling doesn't stop for Joe Burrow. He's going to continue to evolve and get better as a quarterback as he tweaks mechanics and gets better at decision-making and finds other ways he can improve his game. And Joe Burrow, people keep saying Joe Burrow doesn't have the arm strength we'd like him to have. Joe Burrow's arm is perfectly strong. Yes, I acknowledge Joe Burrow doesn't have the same amount of arm strength as Patrick Mahomes, but that's so rare. There's like two guys, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Jacob Eason in the draft. They have the three strongest arms, maybe, maybe Matthew Stafford, like I've ever seen. That's it. There's no one else has arms like that. Joe Burrow is good enough. And, you know, it's, yes, arm strength, I would actually agree, is the weakest point of Joe Burrow's game. But it's not like he's bad. He's great at everything. Arm strength is just the thing he's least great at. Does that make sense? It's not like he has bad arm strength. His arm strength is there. And then you got to acknowledge Joe Burrow is incredibly accurate. I've never seen a college quarterback actually more accurate than I have yet did yesterday against Oklahoma. I was like, this dude is pinpoint accurate everywhere, throwing the ball into really tight, really small windows. And he makes incredible decisions, decision-making, accuracy. Joe Burrow gets it. And the dude can move around. And I'm not talking about running the ball. Joe Burrow's not a running quarterback. But he's so good at extending plays. He either can escape the pocket, keep a play alive, and throw the ball downfield, or it's just as subtle as he'll step up in the pocket or he'll slide to the right or he'll slide to the left. He's okay when things don't go perfectly. When a play breaks down and things don't go perfectly, he can still succeed. Joe Burrow just calmly adjusts. 
and makes plays. That's what he does. He's calm. He handles it well. There's an emotional center point that Joe Burrow has. Uh, I think Joe Burrow, <laughs> my dad and I were talking about, I think Joe Burrow would be fun to travel with. Because you know when you travel and things go wrong, like you miss your, you, you miss your train or you're late for dinner, or your hotel doesn't give you what you need, and you got to go find breakfast because there's no free breakfast like you thought there was. Little things like that go wrong, and you want to be with someone when you travel that can handle little things going wrong. If someone you are around you, and you're in Cincinnati, and things go horribly, you don't want to be with somebody who panics and freaks out. My dad and I travel really well together because we both feed off each other, and we go with the flow. And Joe Burrow does exactly that. When things go wrong, or they're not exactly perfect like you planned— he finds a way to adjust and handles it completely well. And it's crazy the difference to me between Joe Burrow, the quarterback at LSU, who's still in college, the difference between him and Will Greer, the Carolina Panthers rookie quarterback, it's astounding. Will Greer, the quarterback of the Panthers, is at his worst when he's moving around, extending plays, and doing things that he didn't prepare for. Like, he throws horrible, horrible interceptions when he's running around. Joe Burrow's the exact opposite. Joe Burrow might be at his best when he's extending plays. Like he's, he's great in the pocket and on rhythm and doing all this stuff. But when things go wrong and go south, Joe Burrow always still finds a way to calmly make a play. I've never seen a player do it better than Joe Burrow. It's, it's unbelievable. He can turn a bad play into something really good. You have to appreciate that about Joe Burrow. But here's the other thing about Joe Burrow. He understands leadership. I was watching a clip of Tom Brady talk about playing quarterback recently. And Tom Brady was saying that, you know, as a quarterback, my job is to move the ball down the field so we can score. And he listed all these things. But one of those things he made a very important mention. He was, it was very clear to him. He had to say this. He said, one of the important parts of moving a team down the field is leadership. You have to be a good leader if you're going to play quarterback. Yeah, you got to be able to throw and make good decisions, yada, yada, but leadership matters at the quarterback position. That's from Tom Brady saying that. And many people often overlook leadership at the quarterback position. People fall in love with statistics or this guy's six foot five, he's got a strong arm, or he's got, you know, the quarterback Anthony Gordon at Washington State has a bazillion touchdown passes. Woo! Congratulations. He's a bad leader. He doesn't galvanize his football team. Everyone, by the way, is in love with this guy, Anthony Gordon at Washington State. He had a bad, he lost, he lost a bowl game. I think they were six and seven and had a losing record this year. Anthony Gordon doesn't motivate or galvanize the people around you. He's a bad leader and leadership matters. It drives me nuts. I can't believe people haven't figured this out. At quarterback, you got to have a guy who's a good leader. And Joe Burrow gets it. He understands that his job is not just to make good decisions, not just to make good throws. Part of his job as the quarterback is to galvanize and lead the people around you and organize everybody so you can collectively drive the ball down the field and score touchdowns. That is the job of a quarterback, and Joe Burrow gets exactly that. Now we got to talk about Oklahoma. There's another quarterback that played in this game. He's also a phenomenal leader. That's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is, I have, I've talked about this before. There are two, my two favorite college football players of all time are Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is phenomenal. He's a great leader. However, being a great leader, sadly, is not enough at the quarterback position. So I love Jalen Hurts. He's classy. I love his story. I love the way he carries himself, his interviews. I watch, he'll do like a 17-minute interview after practice. I watch the entire thing because I just, I always find a nugget or I find some valuable wisdom from him because he's so wise. He's young, he's a senior in college, and he just gets it. And this is really, really painful and sad, but we saw Jalen Hurts' limitations on full display 
on Saturday against LSU. Number one, Jalen Hurts is not an elite thrower of the football. It's kind of important to have your quarterback be elite at throwing the football. You got to have a guy who's good at throwing if you're going to play quarterback. He had receivers open against LSU, and not by a lot. They were in one-on-one situations. Oklahoma's receiver, like CeeDee Lamb, would beat a guy by a step. And by NFL standards, that's open. And Jalen Hurts could not complete passes into really tight windows. Jalen Hurts simply did not have the arm talent to complete throws into really small, really tight windows to receivers who were barely open by only a step. That's a really big red flag if you're evaluating Jalen Hurts from an NFL perspective as a quarterback. Now, number two, this is the really big problem for Jalen Hurts, or maybe the other big problem. People say that, well, you got to look at the Baltimore Ravens and how they run their offense with quarterback Lamar Jackson. They have a quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who threw for over 3,000 yards and ran for over 1,000 yards. He ran for three, he ran for 1,000, threw for 3,000. They've built an offense in Baltimore where they use design quarterback runs frequently. And people say, well, can't NFL teams do the same thing with Jalen Hurts? And I even fell into this. I even talked about this at one point. You can maybe have, people want to say, can we use Jalen Hurts and have a quarterback run designed offense succeed in the NFL? And man, I hope so. I hope somebody finds a way to creatively use Jalen Hurts' skill set. Because I think there's a really good skill set there. Uh, I think maybe people could do something similar to the way the Saints use Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill's a great athlete. He is, you know, the Saints use him all over the place. He's not a traditional quarterback. He runs the ball. He catches passes. Taysom Hill does everything. I think there's an NFL team that could look at Jalen Hurts and go, hey, you're a stud. You're a great leader. You're a great athlete. We're going to use you more than just as a normal quarterback and not just to run the ball. You're going to catch passes. You're going to play special teams. Jalen Hurts, we want you on our team. You're a great leader, but you're going to have to do everything. Maybe there's a team out there that looks at Jalen Hurts and says, we can use you the way the Saints use Taysom Hill. And I think Jalen Hurts is clearly an incredible person, and I believe he's going to succeed at something in his life. He's going to be very successful, hopefully playing quarterback in the NFL. But I really believe that saying Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson and comparing the two, saying they're similar, is unrealistic. It's not a realistic expectation to expect Jalen Hurts to develop into something like Lamar Jackson. You got to give Lamar Jackson the respect he deserves. Lamar Jackson is incredible running the football. He's got this ability, it's called quick twitch, where he can go from zero, not running at all, to 60 to full speed in a blink of an eye. He's so quick at accelerating, and he can start and stop on a dime. Lamar Jackson is a special talent. His lightning speed is unbelievable. You cannot compare... Jalen Hurts to Lamar Jackson. It's not fair. They run differently. And just because a quarterback runs the ball does not mean they all run the ball the same way. Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, all are quarterbacks who run the football. They all uniquely do it differently, and you can't compare the three. You can't compare the four. They just all they all do it differently. You can't compare Lamar Jackson to Jalen Hurts. They run the ball differently. And more importantly, Lamar Jackson is a special runner. Jalen Hurts is a really good runner. He runs the ball well. He runs, honestly, more like a running back. The more impressive thing is that Jalen Hurts runs physically. He runs people over. He's very durable. Jalen Hurts takes a lot of hits, and it's pretty unbelievable. He gets up over and over again. But Jalen Hurts is not the same one-of-a-kind talent running the football that Lamar Jackson is. It's not fair to expect Jalen Hurts to develop into that because you got to recognize, oh, Lamar Jackson is actually just really, really special. 
Man, I got to say, I had so much fun. I was watching LSU Oklahoma. I had a blast. I found myself rooting for Joe Burrow. My buddy and I were high, you know, Jerry and I were high-fiving each other when Joe Burrow would throw a touchdown pass. Like, I was invested, and I, I enjoyed the whole game. And I felt like, really, I was watching a, a special performance from a special quarterback. Joe Burrow, I don't think I'm ever going to see a performance quite as dominant as we saw from LSU against Oklahoma last night from a court. It was just like, this is one of those things. You just got to shut up, sit down, and let the good man create art. It was special. It was really fun to watch from Joe Burrow. And I have to say, I felt really bad for Oklahoma fans. I know a guy named Francis. He follows me on Instagram. I was like, man, this is now three years in a row that Oklahoma has lost in the college football playoff. And this loss was actually the worst of all of them. They lost badly to Alabama last year. This one was somehow worse. And so I feel bad for Oklahoma. I felt, I was, as I was excited about LSU and Joe Burrow, I felt really bad for, for Oklahoma fans. I'm sure their hearts were pretty upset watching your team lose. Um, and also, I got to end it this way. I got to say, I really hope that Joe Burrow enjoys his time playing with good teammates and good coaching around him because he's about to go to the NFL. And if the Bengals draft Joe Burrow number one overall and he decides to go play for them, then he's going to struggle tremendously. I have my dad coming on the show later later this week. My dad, my silly dad, who doesn't know football very well, but he understands, he's, he gets it one thing. Him and I are going to have a discussion about, should Joe Burrow do what Eli Manning did and say, I'm not going to the Cincinnati Bengals. I refuse to play. Because they can't force him to play for them. They could draft him, but he can literally say, hey, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to play for a bad franchise. Joe Burrow has the power to do that. We'll talk about that later this week. It'll be really fun. But Joe Burrow better appreciate and understand how lucky he is to have great teammates and great coaching at LSU because he might not have that in the, in the NFL if he indeed gets drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals or even another really bad franchise that's just doom and gloom in the NFL. Now for the second game of the day. Uh, Clemson beat Ohio State 29-23. to And... Uh, Man, this was quite the game. It was really, really cool. It was really enjoyable to me to watch Dabo Sweeney, who is you know, Clemson's head coach. It was fun to watch Dabo Sweeney's interview after the game. In the postgame interview, he said it felt like a championship game. The back and forth, the emotion of the game. Um, and he even said, he said it was a shame that one of the teams had to lose. He credited Ohio State a lot. He said their fight was awesome. I thought that was really, really classy. And I'll be totally honest, I... I felt like Ohio State blew it against Clemson. I, I thought Ohio State, they screwed up and they cost themselves a victory. Uh, at halftime, the score was 16-14. to 14. At halftime, Ohio State was beating Clemson 16-14. to 14. And when, I, when we got to the halftime score and I, I, my friends and I look at each other, we're like, are you kidding me? That's the score. How, how in the world is Clemson still in this game? We could not believe that Clemson was still alive at this point. You got to understand, Ohio State had multiple long drives where they drove all the way down the field only to get stopped in the red zone. Multiple times, Ohio State had long, long drives. These are, let me read them to you. We had a, they had a, drive, a 10 play drive where they, they spanned 71 yards, a 10 play, 71 yard drive. All they got out of it was a field goal. Ohio State had another drive, seven plays, 75 yards. All they got was a field goal. Then they had a 14 play drive. 70 yards, and they had to settle for a field goal because they couldn't score in the red zone. And then there was a point where Ohio State led 16-0 to with seven minutes before halftime, and then, bam, Clemson turned it on. Suddenly their offense scored two touchdowns in a hurry, and it's at halftime, 
it was 14 to 16. And let me tell you, in the half game interviews for both head coaches, Ryan Day, Ohio State's head coach, looked shell-shocked. He looked panicky. He was making excuses. He was complaining to the interviewer. He just did not look composed at all. Ryan Day looked completely defeated and horrified, even though, by the way, at that point, he was leading by two points in that game. Ryan Day did not look like a coach who was winning a football game. He looked like he was down 50-0 at halftime. So Ryan Day looked like he just lost all his composure and was horrified that they'd let Clemson come back. And at that point, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson's head coach, looked poised. He looked ready to finish the fight. He looked like he was ready to go. And it's so funny to me. Ohio State fans are blaming, you know, there were two moments, there are two things that you can talk about, two talking points if you want, to say that Ohio State got screwed. You could say, well, Ohio State had a player ejected because of a targeting call. That was a big deal. It cost them. Or you could also say that they were, you know, Ohio State was a victim of two really bad calls by the officials. And I agree. There was a call where it was a pass interference that was really blatant that was not called in favor of Ohio State. They got screwed. And then there was another play where uh, Clemson fumbled. Ohio State picked up and ran for a touchdown. They called it an incomplete pass instead of a fumble. That really hurt Ohio State. And you can talk about those three moments all you want. Ohio State got screwed. But you have to acknowledge, adversity seemed to rattle Ohio State. And people need to stop making excuses for that football team. Ohio State scored four times in the first half. Four times, and they only got 16 points out of it. Field goal, field goal, field goal. In the red zone, they couldn't score. Imagine the difference if instead of leading 16-0 to zero with seven minutes left going into before halftime, what if Ohio State had been leading 28-0? to zero? That would have been a much different story. The truth is that Ohio State allowed Clemson to hang around and then they allowed themselves to get beat. Ohio State blew it. No one likes hearing that. Ohio State fans are going to be mad at me for that. But to go to the red zone four times and only get 16 points, it's a big deal. And you can credit Clemson's coaching if you want. right? Do it if you want. But man, you also got to acknowledge Ohio State did not take care of business the way they should have. And by the way, in moments when they needed to, Clemson stepped up. They were ready. They were ready to make plays in big moments. Their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, is not known for running the football. He's a pocket quarterback. This guy had a 67-yard touchdown run. The quarterback who's a pocket quarterback not known for running the football had a 67-yard touchdown run. Oh, my gosh. He rose to the moment. When Clemson was given opportunities, they took advantage of it. Unlike Ohio State, who repeatedly blew opportunities. Ohio State's quarterback, Justin Fields, had two interceptions, and the second interception was not his fault. However, even that interception that was not his fault still reflects on the fact that Ohio State seemed rattled. It starts at the top. Ryan Day, their head coach, appeared to be losing composure at halftime. I was like that. And then you watch the rest of the game on the sideline. He's always complaining or throwing stuff. His body language was awful on the sideline in the second half for Ohio State. Ryan Day, the head coach, it starts with him. But then in a critical moment at the end of a game, a really important down, Ohio State's losing. They need to score. An Ohio State receiver decided to do his own thing. He broke off his route early. Justin Fields threw the ball where he was supposed to be. The receiver wasn't there. It led to an easy interception for Clemson. Ohio State got rattled. It's very interesting to me. All year I've heard that Ohio State, and I even bought into it at one point, I said, Ohio State, you know, they're the most amazing team. They're the best team in the history of college football. A lot of people were saying that. And, you know, we all, myself included, 
kind of wrote off Clemson. We said, well, Clemson, you know, they dominated a really bad conference. And it seems like everybody forgot that, oh, yeah, this is still the same program, Clemson, that dominated Alabama in the national championship game last year. This is the same program. A lot of the players are gone, but these guys were there. They remember it. They are eager to make a name for themselves. And I think people just overlooked Clemson a lot. And Ohio State, you got to acknowledge, they had opportunities. They blew it. They were in the red zone a lot. They had interceptions. They had, I mean, Ohio State can blame people all they want, but they got to look in the mirror. It's easier to blame. It's harder to acknowledge, hey, we had moments and we didn't make, take advantage of those moments. Here's the really, the most disappointing piece of this entire game to me. This is the narrative I really wanted. All I have wanted from the college football playoff, I wanted Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, to play against his former team, Ohio State. He transferred out of Ohio State to go to LSU. And now we're not going to get it. And I am so upset. I'm like, ah, man, it feels like a missed opportunity. If anybody ever argues that college football is scripted, you're a freaking idiot. Because if things were scripted, you would have had Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner against his former college football team. We're not going to get that. And that's, look, it's life. It's disappointing. I'm going to really enjoy it. Clemson LSU is going to be an awesome football game. I really hope. I hope it's close. I hope it's amazing. But, man, I would have loved to see Joe Burrow play against his former college, Ohio State. It's just sad and disappointing. We didn't get that game that I really, really wanted. I wanted that all year, and uh, we didn't get it, and that's sad to me. Okay, uh, Joe Burrow left Ohio State, and that idea of the end of something, that's the idea I want to discuss next. Uh, we have two stories in particular about that idea where there's a, a something ends, a relationship between two sides ends, and you know we're going we're to talk about Baker Mayfield, and we're going to talk about Marshawn Lynch. I want to start with Marshawn Lynch. Um... Tonight, the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers are going to play against each other. They have a huge game. And the headlining story to me is the return of Marshawn Lynch, the Seattle Seahawks running back. Marshawn Lynch left Seattle on what appeared to be bad terms. It was at the end of the 2014 season when the Seattle Seahawks and New England Patriots, they played each other in the Super Bowl. And on the one-yard line, the Seahawks decided to throw the ball instead of run with Marshawn Lynch. And if they were in an interception, they lost because of that decision. And, uh, you know, Marshall Lynch played one more season in Seattle. Then he pieced out. He left. He went to Oakland to play for the Raiders, his hometown team, before he ultimately retired. And I live in the Northwest. And regardless of reality, it felt like the Seattle Seahawks and Marshawn Lynch ended on really bad terms. Like it was bitter and it wasn't good. Honestly, the, the truth is that maybe it wasn't that way. Right? Marshall Lynch is very private. He doesn't give the media a lot. Maybe he really just wanted to play for his hometown team before he retired. It's possible that perception of that situation was far worse than reality. But the perception is this. Either way, when I saw a picture of Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson at practice the other day, I, I, it got me excited. I had those like emotional. I was like, oh, wow, it's back. I, can't, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe we have Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch. They're going to play together again. It's unbelievable. And for, you know, I know I skipped over something in case anybody missed it. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks were decimated by injuries at running back. They gave Marshawn Lynch a call, said, hey, do you want to come out of retirement to play for us? He said yes. Marshawn Lynch came back to play for his old team. And I know that divorce analogies are a little bit cliche, but if you've ever been through a divorce or if your parents have ever divorced, you know the, the gravity of what I'm about to say is that if you have divorced divorce parents, you can relate to this. My parents' marriage ended really messy and really badly. They had a kid die. It was, it was, just, it was just bad. It was a mess. Things were bitter and ugly. And so the thought of my parents 
together on a date years later. It, it, hilarious. That's just no way. Not going to happen. It just to me, that's a hilarious thought. The thought of my parents, my dad's remarried. My mom's in a new relationship. The thought of them ever getting back together is just hilarious. That doesn't, it's not going to happen. And so when I saw that picture of Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson at practice, I had that same feeling as I probably would feel if my parents got back together. It's just crazy. It's like, what? You got to appreciate. I don't know what's going to happen in the game tonight. I have no idea. Maybe Marshall Lynch gets hurt. Maybe Marshall Lynch has 400 yards and 20 touchdowns. I have no idea what's going to happen with Marshall Lynch. But regardless, you have to appreciate the fact that it happened at all. The fact that they seem to bury the hatchet and get back together. That Marshawn Lynch is the Seattle Seahawks. They're together again. He's playing for them again after that brutal, uh, what appeared to be the perception was this horrible ending. That's like my parents in 10 years getting remarried. You're like, no way. I can't believe that. It's not, not going to happen. And to me, I, I just wanted to share that the, the ridiculous, wild nature of the fact that Marshawn Lynch is back with the Seattle Seahawks. It's just unbelievable. It's really cool. I'm excited to talk about whatever does happen. We'll see what happens. It's going to be really fun to watch tonight. Um, but man, the fact that Marshall Lynch is back at all is pretty ridiculous, pretty wild, and pretty cool. Okay, uh, Baker Mayfield is the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. He's had a pretty rough year. He did not live up to expectations on the field. And I think, I think Baker Mayfield's really, really talented. I love him. I'm a big fan of his. I know that's controversial. I don't care. I think his story is interesting to me. I think his... I think Baker Mayfield's a guy I tend to root for. It's just really fascinating to me. And I think he's really talented. I think his arm strength, his accuracy, it's all there. The tools for him to be a successful quarterback are there. And not to mention, you got to acknowledge, Baker needs a better head coach. Freddie Kitchens, not the answer in Cleveland. The Browns need to get a better coach. Maybe someone who can mentor Baker Mayfield a little bit. But here's the, and I think Baker tends to get in his own way. This is why Baker's so attractive to me. He tends to get in his own way a lot. Here's the history of Baker Mayfield. As a freshman in college, Baker Mayfield walked on at Texas Tech University. He ended up playing. It was their day one starter. He broke freshman records at Texas Tech, which is a big deal because that's a team. You know, Mike Leach was there at one point. There are, the passing records there are crazy. And Baker Mayfield set records and yet still was not given a scholarship after the year ended. He got hurt, and it seemed like the coaching staff wanted another quarterback. It's debatable what really happened, but the rumor is that Baker Mayfield wasn't given a scholarship, even though it's pretty clear he deserved one. So Baker left. He went to Oklahoma, and he walked on to Oklahoma, and he developed a chip on his shoulder. He was phenomenal. And he's an underdog who made it. Baker Mayfield is a two-time walk-on in college who won the Heisman Trophy. Unbelievable. That's a crazy, it's a cool story. I don't know how you don't listen to that story and go, wow, that's, that's amazing. He walked on, didn't have a scholarship, earned a scholarship, won the Heisman Trophy, became what's called, the Heisman is the literally the best player in college football. That's Baker Mayfield. Wow. Undersized guy, too. That's really cool. And then Baker Mayfield became the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And to me, once someone wins a Heisman Trophy and then becomes the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, they're no longer an underdog. And that story, it's hard to convince me that guy, oh, that guy, the guy who's had a bunch of success recently, he's still an underdog? I don't, I don't buy it. The story doesn't work anymore. And I finally figured out my disconnect where I, I'm slightly uncomfortable with Baker Mayfield. That chip on his shoulder makes him seem bitter, and I think it's unhelpful to him. So number one, he leaves Texas Tech, and he leaves on bad terms. He trashes them. Things didn't end badly in college, and Baker Mayfield transferred. And then earlier this year, there was a moment where Baker Mayfield was talking about the Texas quarterback, Sam Ellinger. And 
He's like, I don't like Sam. Sam and I, we hated each other. He went to my rival high school. He just seemed bitter. And it's like, why are you holding on to this thing from the past? And I've learned recently that moments in life are like chapters. Like whether it's positive or negative as an experience, when it ends, let it go. Learn from it. Move on. Let let things be. The worst thing you can be in life is just bitter and still holding on to this thing from like 20 years ago. And there's a, a moment where in Baker Mayfield's career at the end of last year, his rookie season, he had some success. He played really well. They won some games. He threw a bunch of touchdowns. And in Cleveland, when that happened, the expectations were raised. Suddenly, Baker Mayfield, like he's got Jarvis Landry, Oda Beckham Jr., some good receivers around him. He's had some success in the past. Expectations for Baker Mayfield were raised. And he was no longer the underdog on paper. And I really believe success can screw with your head. I remember I have my own place now. That's where we're recording this podcast. And when I got my own place, it messed with my head. I couldn't get out of bed for like a week and I couldn't make videos. I couldn't make podcasts. I couldn't do anything. And it made no sense because like you would think you get your own space. You have this incredible room to record in and suddenly you can't work. What's going on? And the reality is that the story I was telling myself didn't line up with reality anymore. I was no longer the kid in a college dorm room that nobody believed in and made fun of. People were like, oh, this guy has 100,000 subscribers. He's no longer the – It was a, the story I was telling myself didn't line up anymore. It didn't work. When you tell yourself that you're this underdog, angry guy looking to prove everybody wrong, it doesn't line up with the fact that you have success anymore. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That story doesn't work when you succeed. And so you got to find a new story to tell yourself when there's a, you have a little bit of – look, I'm not trying to say I'm successful. I have a, long work to, a lot of work to go. I try to have a healthy respect for that. I, like I'm, I'm very grateful about my own place, but I got work to go, and there's a long journey ahead. And I know, look, this is a weird topic. Everyone's like, Zach, where are you going with this? Get to the point. People are like, Zach, what are you talking about? Here's my, my point of all this. I'm really curious to see the progression of Baker Mayfield off the field as a person in the next year. I want to see where does Baker Mayfield go as more than a quarterback on the field, but as a person in interviews and work ethic off the field. Is he in more commercials? What kind of thing, what are we going to see from Baker Mayfield off the field going into this offseason and into next year? There was a really cool story a couple weeks ago where, you know, the <laughs> really, here's what's wild. Texas Tech, the head coach when Baker Mayfield was there was Cliff Kingsbury. Well, Cliff Kingsbury is now the Cardinals head coach. And a couple weeks ago, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns played against Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. And so their reports came out that, oh, it sounded like some of the, inter- some of the things that Baker Mayfield said in interviews, it sounded like Cliff Kingsbury and Baker Mayfield buried the hatchet. They... We're letting go of the past and moving forward. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. It sounds like some maturity from Baker Mayfield. He gave a good answer. I was like, wow, he's moving forward. And I really believe, this is the key, I believe Baker Mayfield has all the tools to be successful. He's got a great arm. He, his velocity for a guy his size, he's got, he's got one of the stronger arms in the NFL, and it's because he's got incredible mechanics. His mechanics are great. He's really accurate. I, I really am, I've done a film analysis of Baker Mayfield. I really like his physical ability. My fear is that he's going to get in his own way. Similar, I get the comparisons of Johnny Manziel now more than ever because I think when, when Baker Mayfield was in college, people kept comparing him to Johnny Manziel. And I said, look, these are different issues. And they are different issues from Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel got in his own way differently than Baker Mayfield gets in his own way. But the underlying gut feeling it gives you is the same discomfort. Like, Baker Mayfield, something's off. And it's because Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel gets in his own way because... He just can't seem to do the work. He can't seem to stay sober. There's all these other problems. Baker Mayfield wants to work hard. 
he has the right intentions, but I think the story he tells himself, his motivation, his, his anger, his bitterness from the past, I think those things hold him back more than anything. And I want to see if Baker can get his head on straight and get some other stuff figured out in his life because the statements he's made to the media often look bad. And the person he presents seems bitter and angry. And if Baker Mayfield can get through all that and deal with those issues, I think he'd play great on the field. I think there's, there's more than just physical stuff on the field. He's got to deal with other things. And I hope desperately that Baker Mayfield gets a head coach that can mentor him a little bit as a person as well as, as a quarterback. Um, I'm really, the whole point of this topic, if you miss, like, it's like the last sentence I'm going to say, but the reason why I did this topic is I am so curious to see how and if Baker Mayfield develops his mindset off the field. Does he evolve outside of the game? What is his mindset like a year from now? The things he's saying in interviews, the work ethic he has, is he in more commercials? I want to see where Baker Mayfield is, where his mindset is a year from now. Ah, uh, that's a weird topic. I know that's not a, like, people are like, Zach, what are you talking about? I'm just curious to see who is Baker Mayfield a year from now. I just cannot wait to see uh, what turns out. <clears throat> There's a lot more than, that goes into playing quarterback than just throwing the ball. I mean, people don't understand. That's one of those things, though, is do you have your stuff together, your motivation? Is your, your head in the right spot? If your head's not in the right spot, at least I know personally I can't talk on the show. If my, if my head isn't right, I don't make good content. I make awful, terrible, boring, just bad content. So I, I've learned, like, where your head is matters a lot. Jacob Easton, the quarterback at the University of Washington, just declared for the NFL draft. He's now leaving college, heading to the NFL. He's doing it a year before he could. He could have stayed another year. He could have stayed in college one more year and developed, and he decided to leave. And uh, currently, I do not think that Jacob Eason is ready for the NFL. He makes some questionable decisions at times. His accuracy struggles occasionally. Um, he's just inconsistent in areas. I think he needs to be more consistent if he wants to succeed as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So right now, today, Jacob Eason could not be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's, he's not ready yet. However, I do believe that leaving college to go to the NFL is still the right thing for him, which is rare. Normally I say guys should stay and develop, but Jacob Eason has a, there's, here's the interesting thing about Jacob Eason. He has to ask himself, He's incredibly talented. He's probably one of the best. He's, he's got the best arm in all of college football. He's phenomenal throwing the ball. Jacob Eason had to ask himself, where would I rather develop? If I'm going to get better in the next year, where would I rather do it? Jacob Eason could stay in college, stay at Washington, and get better as a quarterback. And then this time next year, he'd be talked about as probably the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Just imagine, you do all this work, and then you become the number one overall pick. That's one option and potential future for Jacob Eason. The other option is he go, okay, he could get, in the next year, I think Jacob Eason's going to get better as a quarterback. He could do it in college, or he could go to the NFL now, be a later first-round pick or a, a second-round pick, go to the Steelers or the Saints, go to a good football team, sit behind a good quarterback, and then once the, he's a year better next year, he'll find himself in actually a good situation when it's time for him to play. In the next year, Jacob Eason needs to get better as a quarterback. He needs to make improvements. But you got to ask yourself, where would you rather improve, in the NFL or in college? Would you rather be Joe Burrow today getting ready to go to the Cincinnati Bengals, a terrible, horrible franchise, or would you rather be 
potentially Jacob Eason going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, sitting for a year behind Ben Roethlisberger, then taking over for a good football team with a good franchise, a good head coach, and a good organization. Where would you rather go? It's a long-term plan, but if I'm Jacob Eason, I don't want to be a first-round pick. I don't think a lot of guys, I wouldn't want to be the first, number one overall pick taken in the NFL draft because you usually go to a bad football team with bad coaches and bad management. I don't want to be with people that are bad managers. And if I'm Jacob Eason, I sat at home and went, okay, one future takes me to the number one overall pick if I get better. I got to get better either way. Would I rather get better in college or, or the NFL? I think he picked the NFL. It makes sense to me. Jacob Eason, it makes total sense. I think Jacob Eason did absolutely the right thing by leaving college early to go to the NFL. Look, college classes suck. I, don't, I, I hated going to college classes. They were a waste of time. It was pointless. That's a topic we'll probably never, ever talk about because I know it makes people angry. Uh, but for me, look, I wanted to work on the internet. I was sitting in entomology class. Never made sense to me. I was like, why am I studying about bugs? Zach Schaumler wants to talk about videos on YouTube. Like, I don't, I don't, it never worked for me. And so when Jacob Eason, as a quarterback, sits in class, economics, and he's like, dude, I just want to play football. So now he gets to go be a professional football player. That's awesome. He's going to make a lot of money. It's going to be great. And more importantly, Jacob Eason is now going to end up in a scenario where he's probably going to have good people around him. Good coaching staff, good teammates, a good organization. That's exactly what happened to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson went to a really good organization, the Baltimore Ravens. And they had a quarterback, Joe Flacco, who wasn't the answer long-term. But he sat for a little bit, got ready, and then when, when he was ready, Lamar Jackson got put in. I, I think Jacob Eason is in a, a really good situation here. I hope he's a second-round pick or a late first-round pick, and he goes to a good football team. And Jacob Eason has a good organization around him and is set up for in a good situation to succeed in the NFL. Here's one last point about Jacob Eason. Uh, my only concern about him is his work ethic. I live in his home state of Washington. I know people who played in high school with him. I know a lot of people in the building at University of Washington. I know people that have been around him for years. They all say one thing. They all say their concern about him is his work ethic. They're all a little bit hesitant. It was going to workouts in high school. He would make up excuses. And there's this and there's that. And they, you know, he sat for a year in college at University of Washington. And when his time came, because he, you know, he transferred and he had to sit out for a year, but he got to practice every day. And when his time came, after sitting for a year on the bench, he still hadn't mastered the offense. The people at Washington were like, dude, what have you been doing? You've been here for a year. What's going on? So my concern about Jacob Eason is about work ethic. I've heard a lot of sources tell me behind the scenes privately, mm, there's concern here that you might be missing out on. But I will say this, if Jacob Eason, if that's, all, if that's all not true, and Jacob Eason really, the work ethic thing is not a problem, it's going to work out. Because other than that concern, he's going to go to a good organization, probably sit behind a quarterback for a year. And if that happens, if Jacob Eason works hard, keeps improving as a quarterback, and has time to develop with a good organization, it's terrifying. Jacob Eason could absolutely be a home run in the NFL. All right, um, last story of the day. It was just announced, it was just announced that Big Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, is going to come back and play next year. Remember, he missed most of the year this year at an elbow injury. He's been on the sideline. Him coming back next year is a huge deal. There was speculation he might retire. Is he going to come back? Number one, the Steelers need him badly. But number two, there was no really plan to replace Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. The Steelers quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, 
I love Duck Hodges. I'm not a fan of Mason Rudolph, but neither of them, and not personally, just on the field. Duck Hodges is like doing the best he can. He's not physically talented. Mason Rudolph, physically gifted, makes bad decisions and consistently isn't good enough with decision-making. Neither quarterback was a long-term answer for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And to compound that and make it worse, the Steelers don't have a first-round pick in this year's NFL draft. If they'd had to replace Ben Roethlisberger, they wouldn't have a way to do it. They traded away their first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, gave it to the Dolphins. So now the Pittsburgh Steelers have a quarterback who's 37 years old, Ben Roethlisberger. He's coming back next year, and they need to find a successor. The good news is this. Jordan Love and Jacob Eason are living and breathing. They're going to be in the NFL draft. They're both not ready to play immediately in the NFL. They're going to fall in the NFL draft a little bit. They're, they're probably, talent-wise, arm strength and accuracy, things like that, their first-round talent that needs to be honed. They need to have, there's things behind the scenes, and they need to have better preparation. They need to have better decision-making, things like that. But if you can get a quarterback like that to come to your franchise who's really talented, do what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, let him sit for a year, then come in the next year and play well, that's possible. But Jacob Eason and Jordan Love are a great answer for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They should try to find a way to draft him. So I'm, I'm pointing out there is a chance because Ben Roethlisberger is coming back, and even though they don't have a first-round pick, the things might fall into place that the Steelers can work out pretty much perfectly for them where they can go from Ben Roethlisberger and seamlessly transition to the next guy, whoever they draft in the future. So when I saw Ben Roethlisberger was coming back, I just went... Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I know Steelers fans must have been relieved. Uh, They seriously need to find a successor to Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. I am so, so happy that he didn't retire. The Steelers, remember, he sat out all year, had an injury. A lot of people thought Ben Roethlisberger was going to retire. The Steelers are so lucky that he did not. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Remember, at the end of the show, I do this one segment every single time. It's really important to me. Uh, If you're struggling, go get help. Nearly four years ago now, my younger brother committed suicide, and uh, it was heartbreaking, and I learned two really painful lessons. Number one, if you're struggling, go get help. My brother never shared his struggles. I went into his bedroom on a Monday night, found him dead on the floor. No one had any idea it was coming. He never reached out for help, and that's awful. Um, And it's, it's sad to me he never ever told anybody who was having a hard time and that he needed help to get through whatever he was struggling with. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Here's the other lesson, though. It's really painful. I didn't do enough as his brother. Um, I sent a text out to all my friends today. I said, hey, man, I love you. Each, you know, personal messages, but roughly to the effect of, I love you, I care about you, I'm glad you're in my life. You're meaningful to me. Just telling them I care about them and that if they're ever struggling... They can reach out. I didn't have a good enough, I didn't do a good enough job with my brother to say, I love you. Or if you ever need to talk, I'm here. I never said like, hey, we can talk about more than, we played video games a lot. We worked together. We played Halo. We, ne- we always just talked about very shallow things, football, sports, movies, video games. I never asked him, hey man, how are you doing? Your girlfriend broke up with you. What's going on? And so I encourage you, not only do you need to get help if you're struggling, but please tell the people in your life and make it clear to them how much you care about them, that you love them, and that you're there for them. They're having a hard time. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Uh, I got a lot of good stuff, content this week. I'm really excited. I'm, I, I, I'm so excited for this week. I hope you enjoy all the content I'm about to put out. I hope you had a great Christmas. New Year's is coming up. And uh, have a great day. Bam, bam, we are done.